0: So as we've uh, been through this, Isaiah 41, the Lord had said that, let the nations meet for judgment. Do not fear, O Israel. You know, I'll help you. Idols are nothing. You know, I'll give a messenger of good news uh, to you. And then in 42, you know, he tells us to examine his servant or behold his servant and how he's going to bring justice to the nations. That statement in uh, 42, sing to the Lord a new song. Hear you, deaf, and that closure with the Lord will give Israel as spoil. So, as a correction, he's going to allow that to take place. In 43, you know, even though those things are going on, he contrasts by saying, I'm with you, O Jacob, you know, I'm the Lord. Uh, there's no other Savior. Behold, I'll, you know, do the new thing, uh, yet I have not, you've not called upon me. He closes that out. And now, In 44, (laughs) it's interesting. Uh, Can you go speak to them? Yeah. Um, Maybe, if if you're going to stay out there, John, if somebody's going to be security. So um, in 44, uh, he's going to talk about how he's going to pour out his spirit and uh, specifically reference idols and uh, the carpenters who work on them. And uh, the Lord is going to you know, pronounce his judgment. So in verse 1, he says, Yet hear me now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Obviously, they are one and the same, right? Israel and Jacob. But he also makes that distinction of how Jacob was the manipulator, the heel catcher, and how Israel is the one who's governed by God or in submission to the Lord, so you know. Uh, opening statement here, you know. Hear me now, O Jacob. Remembering that uh, there were a handful of occasions, particularly in Isaiah, where the prophet, speaking on behalf of the Lord, calls for the earth to be witness because the people aren't listening to him, and uh, you know the message has gone beyond the point where uh, they would have been receptive so now when he's saying hear me now O jacob and israel you know it gives us an idea of hope like there are actually people who would learn pay attention and um you know obey the lord whom i have chosen thus says the lord who made you informed you uh, from the womb who will help you fear not O jacob my servant and you Jeshurun, whom i have chosen so i guess to get Jeshurun out of the way, uh, by way of housekeeping. Um, It means uh, the upright one. It's a a poetic synonym for Israel. The name was given to the nation of Israel by Moses. Note takers, Deuteronomy uh, 32 verse 15, 33 verse 5, and 33 26. Uh, There Moses refers to Israel as Jeshurun. So... Uh, in this statement, very interesting, both for what they're dealing with, and also as a doctrinal overview, the, the Lord having formed you, you know, from the womb. Uh, life uh, begins at conception. God, you know, according to what the Lord has to say, it actually begins before that. You know, He has His purpose and His intentions before we're formed in the womb. Before. Uh, we were named before we were brought forth so you know the sanctity of life and the way that our culture has uh just you know people talk about moved away from it uh, they've ripped themselves away from it they've 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 destroyed it they've fled from it they've burned any uh you know bridge uh to what the lord intended for life to be protected and uh you know cherished and preserved and it's not just you know, the issue of abortion in our culture. It really, you know, this sanctity of life, death with dignity, doctor assisted suicide, there's no respect for life. You know, the, the things, um, yeah, I think it's a shame in the selfishness of this nation, the way that we take our precious heritage and we just relegate it and lock it away in a nursing home. You know, there, there's so much, uh, you know, wisdom and and friendship and uh, you know just experience and counsel that's lost. You know, I think that, I think that's part of the problem is this, you know, the breakdown of the family. You know, James Dobson has been preaching that to us for you know decades now. But you know, hear what the Lord is saying about revival, how He causes the hearts of the fathers to yearn for the sons and the hearts of the sons to yearn for the father he re, he's repairing the family whenever there's revival it's the deterioration of our culture you know that has brought us uh, to this place where it doesn't properly respect uh life uh, under any given circumstances it's a really you know treacherous thing the the abortion rate still has you know, the human statistic, at least in America, the place where the most dangerous place to exist on planet Earth is the womb. You know, it's not Detroit, Michigan. It's not some of these other ultra-violent places. The womb is the most dangerous place to be alive. Now, that's horrible. You know, and I'm not pointing at fingers at anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's a terrible thing under self-examination that the human race has come to this place. Where we do not respect life especially even in the womb it's a sign of who we are continuing in verse 3 he says for i will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground i will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring now you know uh, this dry ground the, the the parched desert the middle east water is so essential i mean it is uh you know anywhere but you know places like here in the northeast they just moisture so abundant that you know we don't hardly you know, as a state know really what drought is all about even in our worst states where fire hazards get really high you dig a few feet there's still moisture there you know you can still grow crops. Here, they're desperate, especially for the latter rains, because it's dry farming. You plant in hopes of, and uh, when it comes through great abundance, which equals, uh, you know, great uh, financial prosperity. Uh, and so to these people, that idea of, you know, the, the thirst, the, the, the water, the need, the, the, the thirsty ground, spiritually that's what he's saying is you know this the spirit is going to be poured out on a people on a people group uh, you know at a time where the thirst will be intense for it the people will suck it up they will take it in you know they will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourse. one will say i am the lord's another will call himself by the name of jacob another will write with his hand, the Lord's, you know, possessive form of the noun, the name, and name himself by the name of Israel. You know, the fulfillment the Holy Spirit brings. That, that when uh, this outpouring comes, this isn't just going to be, you know, that sort of small, needed um, moisture. This is going to be enough to where it's going to come as a flood. And, uh, you know, this is I think it's really significant to understand that you know this is a character of God that's sort of being described here. It's not just that okay, you're thirsty, let's see if we can't get you a glass of water It's the idea of okay, you're in need. let's open all the floodgates and and just fill this place uh you know with the Holy Spirit with water with with what the you know whatever it is that's satisfying here quite obviously the spirit is what he's talking about i'm going to pour it out upon you in such a way that not only will your full your need be fulfilled but it will exceed far beyond that to the degree that you you know you never expected these things to take place in john chapter 7 verse 37 it says on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Um, you know, th- there are moments, um, you know, you just don't expect certain things. To come out of certain people, Um, you know, any of you that have had time to hang around with John Mills um, have actually come to learn that John is incredibly funny, right? He he has a very very sharp sense of humor. Uh, To meet John and talk to him, you wouldn't think like now here's a guy who's storing up comedy, and yet you know when John opens his mouth. For comedy, it'll just slay you. You know, it's so funny the stuff he comes up with. You know, I uh, <clears throat> I can't remember. We were in a board meeting many years ago, and um, John was working as uh, secretary of the board at that point, so he's also taking minutes during the board meeting. And um, Ken veers off course, uh, you know, from what we're discussing, and he's discussing. With a couple of other guys, something that had gone on in his home between Jeanette and himself nights before. and uh, it's it's hysterical. And um, as Ken finishes out what he's saying, which you know if Jeanette had been there, she would have told the story a very different way, right? <clears throat> Ken finishes out the 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 whole explanation and discussion where he's he's really kind of throwing Jeanette under the bus. And as he finishes, John, as though he's writing it down as board meeting minutes, just finishes writing and quotes the last line that Ken said. Like, you know, and isn't she foolish? You know, something like that. He finishes up and then just looks up very dryly, like like he actually wrote that in the minutes or something. You know what I'm saying? And I'm the first to catch on. I just fall apart. You know, it just it's hysterical. And from John Mills, You just absolutely don't expect it. You don't expect Jesus to just scream at the top of his lungs in a large crowd full of people. It's going to rattle the cages. It's going to cause people, that meek, mild, gentle man, cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." It's out of character, at least slightly, with Jesus to have him shouting in a shrill voice. To shock people, to cry out. Which should cause us to say, this must be a desperate moment in all of the scripture. That he wants us for all of eternity. Literally, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will by no means pass away. This is going to be recorded for eternity right here. The fact that Jesus cried out in this crowd. If you're thirsty, this this flowing, this this coming of the Spirit, this pouring out. You know, so many people miss it. So many people don't recognize this longing in my heart, this this thirst in my soul that I'm just sticking all this other stuff into. You know, it it is Jesus Christ. It's the Lord. It's what's needed. It's His Holy Spirit. And, and understand again. I'm just I know I'm sort of pounding on the same subject, but understand. You know the way this description comes. He wants to just overwhelm the world. Anyone who would want it with His Spirit, fill them, fulfill them. You know, he's not baiting us along. Like, you know, you show up, young grasshopper, and just work very diligently, and I'll give you this little nugget right here. And if you do the same again and really prove yourself as a Christian by being exemplary, then we'll, you know, we'll see how you do with this next little measure that I want to he- he- hear his desire right here. Just blow the doors off, fill your life, overwhelm you, give you peace. You know, wash away all the junk. This is the desire of the Lord. He gets more specific about it as he goes through this. You know, the confidence and assurance that a believer has in Jesus Christ. You know, very clearly. You know, described there. You know, they you know, grass like willows by the water course. Um, Working in tree service years ago, um, I took down a dozen or so willow trees, weeping willows in people's yards because they were convinced they wanted them and they planted them. Just such a beautiful draping tree. Let's put this in the backyard. Until it's come 450 feet across the property and invaded their septic tank and destroyed their septic tank in their leach field. And now they're doing eight grand worth of work over there And kindly asking us if we won't trim that thing like three inches right off the ground. Just tip it over and burn the whole thing. The willow longs for the water. Looks for the water. Sends out these fine little tendril underground root systems. As soon as it's founded, it sends everything that way. So should we be with the offer of the Holy Spirit. The quenching of the thirst. You know, this longing, it's, you know, this disappointment isn't ever going to come to the person who's truly giving themselves over to what the Lord has to offer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, this is really what I wanted us to notice, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's a surety upon us. There's an assurance that's upon us that we can know. We can know it. Not just knowledge, not maybe even more than uh, experientially. We can rest in an assurance of salvation. So many people we talk to in different you know Christian religions come from different denominations, don't know that the Scripture teaches that that you can know you have salvation and that you can rest in the assurance of that salvation. You know, when I've taken people and shown them what John has to say about you can know that you have eternal life, they're, they're like startled to see that in the Bible. Like, I did not know that. You know, I was raised in Christianity. I was raised in the faith. And, you know, no one lent me that. I can remember years ago, Mike Dynix, his very elderly mother, and staunch Roman Catholic, dear woman, just so dedicated, so faithful, but to Catholicism. And right to the end, you know, her saying, just, Mike could show her right here, here it is again. You can have the assurance of salvation. And yet the doctrine of what she's involved in is robbing her of that all the time, you know, leaving her where she's just not sure, just hoping, just doing her best. Almost like you want to look at a poor soul like that and be like, if anybody here could have earned it, you know what I'm saying, it was you. But you know, even though we can't, it's a free gift of God. He's given it to you. You have that assurance. What a terrible thing to dedicate yourself to a belief system that doesn't lend you with that type of, especially when it's right there in the book. It's terrible. So, um, verse 6 Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, I just want to take this bit by bit slow. Um, Thus says the Lord, right? Capital O, capital R, capital R, you know, capital D, uh, YHWH. God's name. This is Yahweh speaking, the King of Israel, you know, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Very, very, very poignant verse in all of the scripture because jesus christ says the same thing right revelation chapter 22 verse 13 i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end the first and the last okay wait a minute (laughs) just isaiah the lord said i'm it i'm the first and the last there's no other now jesus is saying i also am it i'm the first and the last so is it jesus or is it god the father Yes. They they are one and the same. You know, and anybody most of us just kind of smile and smirk at that point. But there are people inside Christianity that struggle. Is is Jesus actually God? Like, have you actually opened your Bible? You know, I just read. You know, when when you are taking other people's belief systems and letting it warp what the word of God says, you need to take the time to get away from other people's writings and books and belief systems and read the Word of God for what it has to say. You you have the assurance of Jesus Christ being God. So it can only be one, either the God of the Old Testament or the God of the New Testament. They both claim to be the first and the last. So it has to be both of them. They both are God. Who can proclaim as I do, he says in verse 7. And he's dwelt on this now since chapter uh, 41 Uh, he's touched on this very phraseology several times who can proclaim as i do then let him declare it and set it in order for me since i appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come let them show these to them do not fear do not be afraid i have not told you from that time and declared it you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Uh, this is one more time God saying, I can predict the future. You know, I, I, let him tell us things that are going to transpire. Let them set things in order for me. You know, explain stuff to me. Explain how things work is what the Lord is saying. That, that list is endless and long. You know, if someone was able to say, well, I know certain things about, I don't know what, science, God could move over and say, okay, within science, let's talk about time. (laughs) And his understanding could exceed anything that the human race understands. You know, most people in this room are probably going to go with what you were taught When you were in school about gravity, the greater that a body of mass is, then the greater the gravitational pull of that body. You know, these laws that we all studied in school, you know, the the size of the moon, the diminished amount of gravity, so it's the mass of the Earth that's giving us this level of gravity. You go to other locations based upon the mass of their, you know, planet versus distance from the sun you get certain gravitational understandings all of that right most of us don't even have a very good understanding of but all of that understanding that you have is completely wrong so uh, the gentleman john anderson that was in charge of the voyager one and the voyager two satellite systems that were launched out through our nine planet solar system to look at each of the planets and Detailed order as much as they could Uh, after they launched Voyager 1 John Anderson who's the designer of the whole program and the space vehicle also he begins to notice that um, he's not finding Voyager 1 where it's supposed to be that when he's trying to align his satellite to talk to Voyager 1 Voyager 1 is Closer to Earth than it should be. He's looking for it further down the line of its shot. And he comes to discover that what's going on is Voyager 1 is slowing down at a very specific rate. So his first thought is that Voyager 1 is broken. That there's something that's gassing, you know, and causing it to slow The brakes are on. It's just somebody left the e-brake up one click or something, and it's just slowing down. So predictably that John actually sets up a mathematical equation for where his satellite is going to be each time he wants to connect with it based upon the speed loss that is now built in. And in the process... He's actually to deter, able to determine where that's going to stop out in space. He literally knows the very pinpoint location where Voyager 1 is going to lose all forward velocity and come to a stop. But he doesn't tell anybody, right? He's literally so genius and he answers to so few people, he just builds all of that math and sets it aside. Because they've still got Voyager 2, right? Right? And then he discovers Voyager 2 is slowing down. So he just quickly grabs Voyager 1's deceleration calculations and applies them to Voyager 2 and discovers that Voyager 2 is decelerating at exactly the same rate. They're in different paths and different courses. They're not even being affected by the same systems that are touching them. John actually goes through years, as that science is taking place, to develop an entirely different strain of mathematics where he determines gravity is not what we thought it was. There's an unseen force in the universe that's affecting his two space vehicles, and it's going to bring both of his vehicles to a dead stop Exactly where he can tell you in outer space, and there's no explanation for it. Now, the beautiful thing is, he'll tell you flat out I can't tell you what gravity is, I can just tell you what it's not. The things we know. You know, the Lord saying, Here, go ahead, set a thing in order. You know, what thing would you choose? There's not much I'm going to ever try to explain to God. That's what God is sort of saying here, is what's your area of expertise? Go ahead. Tell me something about it. You're going to lose. You're not going to be able to give him any information at all. This is the challenge that he's setting for. Look at what he says following. Those who make an image, all of them are useless. Yes, that is as politically incorrect as it sounds. That's exactly what God is saying. Anyone who would make an an idol is useless. I I mean, we can be friendly and try to curve that message for people so it's not so injurious. This is God's frame of mind on the issue. I'm God. I'm alive. I'm real. I'm right here. You could have me, but instead what you're going to do is sit down and make yourself something to worship. If that's the case... You're useless. This is God's thoughts on the issue. Their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witness. Now think about this. God is saying these things are going to be witness against you. They're going to be a testimony. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing surely all his companions would be ashamed and the workmen they are mere men let them all be gathered together let them stand up yet they shall fear they shall be ashamed together um you know the things the capabilities that god has of uh, recording uh, you know the matter of record you you see there at the end of revelation when he brings the great white throne and all of the people you know that have ever existed stand before him and they open the books and the people are judged according to what's written in the books and the people who are written the book of life are exempt from the judgment that's written in the record this idea you know some people have that somehow you can hide from god or that god is not aware or that god is not recording i um uh, i've shared many times before i i was at a a week-long seminar in Romney, new hampshire when i was a young man and there moody bible institute had come and they were doing what was called uh moody's sermon for science and they they do a number of things that were really quite unique but in particular Um, I've described this before, how they take the metal rod. And um, the gentleman has uh, a recording head, a large recording head that he's wired that can sense magnetic recording like the old cassettes used to have. And he takes a magnet and touches this bar in a few spots and then takes the head. And as he runs over it, each place that he's touched the bar, it gives off a bleep because the magnetic interference has been recorded on the metal bar. So beep, 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 I'll do the same. So then he takes the metal bar and he runs the magnet, the length of it, turning it over a few times, until he's essentially erased all of the points that he's touched with and then he runs the head down and there's no bleep in it at all. And then he holds that bar up next to his mouth and he just yells like frighteningly loud and then picks up the magnetic head and runs it down the bar and right where he yelled on the bar, it goes bleep. Disturbed the you know molecular structure enough to where very specific metal bar, very specific recording head that he's able to find this signal with But then he asks the question, so how much stuff do you think is recorded in your windshield? You know, that you got upset about and now you're yelling (laughs) at your windshield. I mean, maybe you're thinking like right now, like I got to get rid of that windshield. (laughs) What's recorded in the drywall of your homes? Yeah. In our body. In our minds. What is recorded in eternity, literally in the books. We're so menial compared to God. You're going to go after idols. You're going to be ashamed of that at some point. It will always shame you. The The one that so easily besets us here in America more than anything is materialism money the worship of money and materialism and uh, that'll leave you ashamed <laughs> just leave you without anything abandon you right? I I'm sure others said it uh, Gail Irwin I heard years ago say money sure does talk I heard it it said goodbye just walks away doesn't stay. It'll leave you ashamed. It's not dependable. Verse 12, the blacksmith with the tongs works on the coals, or in the coals, on, on one of the coals, fashions it with a hammer, and works it with the strength of his arm. Even so, he is hungry. His strength fails. Brings no water and his faint. It's remarkable that um, you could be working on the assembling of a God, and yet get exhausted in the process. I mean, you know, God rested on the seventh day, but we know from the New Testament that he rested from all of his work because it was good and it was complete. And he was giving us that example because we need to rest. God didn't get the end of seven days and just collapse in a heap and tell everybody around him you can forget it. I'm taking the the next day off. That's not where he was functioning at all. We know that. Yet these ones, you know, he built all things. All things, right? These ones that are simply in the process of fashioning a god can exhaust themselves in the process. They can dehydrate themselves in the process just by not thinking about the fact that they're a blacksmith who's working with fire and heat and putting out a lot of energy. understand God is trying to point out how foolish this whole picture is. I created all things in seven days and rested so that you would know that you need to rest. And you turn around and exhaust yourself making a God. It's really, really short-sighted. The simplicity with which God examines us is remarkable at times. The The craftsman stretches out his rule he marks out with the chalk, he fashions it with a plane, he marks it out with the compass and makes it like the figure of a man according to the beauty of a man that it may remain in the house. And it's just a block of wood or a piece of stone when you're done. That's all it is. Brilliantly carved, I mean I'm I'm I very much appreciate fine art and the work. That people put into it and the skill that's involved. But when you're bowing down and praying to that thing and asking for it to rescue you and save you from your circumstances, it's not going to be capable of doing that. Yet, you know, so many people, there's, in our culture, our culture is so dishonest, even with itself. You know, all of the ancient gods are still being worshipped by our culture. Nothing's changed. You know, Diana, you know, the, the goddess of lust. You know, our culture's rampant with it. Bacchus, the god of drunkenness. You know, our, our, our drunkenness is subsidized by the United States government. I mean, it's just, you know, it's foolish that things were mammon. You know, the worship of money, as we've already mentioned. So many things power that people want to worship want to have don't even recognize that what they're doing is they're they're substituting for god it's uh trying to put the wrong thing into the wrong place in our lives will always leave us very very lacking you know i I was with a friend years ago we were very young he was already very angry with uh, the ve- His vehicle we had been working on, which, you know, was a remarkable muscle car that he had, a um, big old Plymouth satellite. But it leaked oil really bad, and uh, we had scrounged around forever till we finally found a junkyard that had the oil pan intact. I'm talking months later. And we go and get this thing and bring it back. And it's the right oil pan. But now to try and get the gasket for that oil pan is like unthinkable. So that finally comes around. And he's so frustrated with it that when we get back, you know, any of you that ever put the gasket on, like you got to flip it upside down, roll it around. Like, you know, some of us have never ever had to experience that. But the gasket only fits one way. That's it. And he's like midway through the third rollover, you know, turnaround thing when he just freaks out and takes the oil pan cover and smashes that gasket like three times, cuts it into ribbons. And, uh, you know, later when we're having this discussion, and I'm able to lay all of those pieces on top of the oil pan and show him, no, it was the right gasket. Well, then he feels stupid. My point within this is so many people are trying desperately to, you know, take the same thing, you know, their lust, their drunkenness, their obsession with money or career, and like flip it around and make it fit. And just, this doesn't actually belong here. You need the proper thing that's going to fit in. And that's, that's challenging for people. To let go of the other things and truly trust Jesus Christ. to, To see that He's working and integrated down into the areas that need His application. There are so many people, you know, nice thick layer of Jesus on the top. You can see it all the time. Is it really involved in your marriage? Is it really involved in your finances? Is it really involved in who you are, or is this the the veneer? This is this is what Jesus is saying through the prophet Isaiah. Here is, you know, all these people are just consumed with these idols, and they're destroying themselves in the process. He cuts down the cedar for himself, takes the cypress and the oak, he secures it for himself. Among the trees of the forest, he plants a pine. The rain nourishes it. God is throwing in like these little quibs like you go through all this process and in the end, it's my rain that's nourishing it. You know, you're doing all this great work of securing it, buying, reserving that one particular pine tree you're going to do this work with and in the end, I'm the one causing it to grow. There shall be for man to burn, for it will Take some of it and warm himself yes he kindles it and bakes bread indeed he makes a god and worships it he makes it a carved image and falls down to it part of it's in the stove cooking breakfast and the other part your face down in front of it it's absurd is exactly what the Lord is saying this is just as stupid as it possibly can be He burns half of the fire and half he eats his meat. He roasts, eros and is satisfied, he even warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I have seen the fire. The rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it and prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. I, um, When I surrendered my life to Christ, um, part of that was, you know, turning myself in on the warrant that was out for my arrest, and doing my time, get out, and four years of probation was attached to that. Where I had to go to AA. In the beginning, I had to do ninety meetings in ninety days, and then I had to go to three meetings a week for the first year, and then I had to go to a meeting a week for the rest of the four years. Um. I've heard some absurd stuff in those meetings about who and what higher powers are, and how people rely upon them. It's, I mean, I my heart breaks, you know, when I was there listening to these people. But you know, this distraught woman, I'll never forget. Her cat's dying, and her cat is her higher power, and uh, she's had the cat for years. And she suddenly, when she got sober, realized what a companion this animal could be. And so this deep friendship is formed. And now the cat's sick and going to die. And as easy it is to take this and, like, apply it to that and mock. I'm sitting here in this meeting listening to this woman heartbroken over. Incredible. I mean... I mean, you should have known. If you can clean out your God's litter box, then, you know, something's telling you you need a different higher power. I, you know, it's 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 a real. I, I mean, I'm not trying to be overly insensitive to this. I'm literally saying, like, you're built in. We're we're made in the image of God. We have intelligence built in. When 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 you are reliant upon a thing like this. They've got to become moments where you go, wait a second. (laughs) Like, I'm serving this animal. How could we, you know, this guy, I've shared this many times, heartbroken because uh, his higher power was his Harley Davidson. And his Harley Davidson is broken down and he doesn't have money for parts. And really in, you know, both of these cases, what you're talking about is happiness, the pursuit of happiness is is what they're all about you know the freedom of riding a motorcycle the the friendship of an animal i mean as silly as these things are you're talking about people are trying to pursue happiness and what you're going to find right any of us that have had any experience in life uh for any length of time at all know happiness comes and goes happiness isn't here to stay You'll have all kinds of things that are awesome today. There'll be a big pile of junk tomorrow. Happiness is very, very fleeting. So the same idea here. You, know, you you can't figure out that this isn't actually a God. You're carving it. You're making lunch. You're, you, you're burning it up in the fire. They do not know nor understand. For he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it, and shall make the rest of it into an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? I mean, I think that's probably more honest, right? Like, don't even carve it. Bring it in and stand it up. Big old block of wood. Don't do anything ornate to it. Just cut the limbs off and drag it in the house. Stand it up over there in the corner. There you go. Block of wood. There's your God. You, know, you don't, Everyone else can see this. You cannot see this. You know, I'll turn the rest of it into an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? He's been blinded, can't see these things. You know, he, he cannot function uh, in the way that everyone else, you, you can see it for the block of wood that it is, he sees it as a God. You're not going to be able to make him understand it. It's literally going to have to be vision. given you know I'll talk about that again Uh, Jesus Christ heals people of blindness throughout the scripture and it's astonishing because when he heals them his healing is complete there's only one case where it goes through phases where the man says I can see men walking around but they look like trees so his vision at that moment was still in progress and then by the end of the healing he sees perfectly most of the healing is instantaneous and really you got to dwell on how remarkable that is because uh, seeing actually occurs in the mind the eye is simply the apparatus which conducts that vision into the brain and then the brain builds the picture so when we heal people's eyes the apparatus and now that picture is being conducted into their brain for the first time It's very often very difficult for them to deal with for a long time, days, weeks, months of time past where vision is giving them migraine headaches, where vision is making them very nauseous, where they have to get used to that sensation of movement. You know, they can move around a lot before and it wouldn't cause any dizzy sensation. Now incorporate vision. People who've been granted vision by human beings, there's a very limited process that takes place. When Christ lends vision in the scripture, in moments, instantaneously, people are able to not only have their vision, but function with it. So it is with reform versus rebirth. You can take someone who's a total heathen, drug addict, criminal, and say, you're a heathen, drug addict, criminal, and you start helping them see that over time. And in the end, often what you've got is a completely blind person who knows with very exacting details about their hedonism, their blindness, their sin. They don't have any more capability to do anything about it. You know, here, when Jesus is saying, when the I keep saying Jesus, when the Lord is saying through the prophet Isaiah, You know, they don't understand. They can't see this. They're blind. I hope that makes us compassionate. You know, when the blind man is, you know, got the answer right in front of him, you don't really laugh at the blind man. You don't make fun of him. You don't ridicule and scorn and just get your act together and see better. If someone's blind to their drug addiction, to their obsession with money, to any number of these things. They need Christ to heal them. They need me to get them to Jesus. That's that's my role, right? That's your role. Pray. Pray. God would ready their heart, and then Jesus would meet them, and they would be given the spiritual healing that they need to have in whatever area it is. You know, this this statement right here, they can't see, right? First Corinthians, right? We're familiar with this. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, nor uh, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned, right? Not everybody's a child of God. Forget what Oprah Winfrey tries to tell you all the time. You know, we were, okay, created all of creation was formed by God. So okay, fine, but the spirit was killed by sin and we essentially are born still born. Our spirit is dead. You know, we're dead in our sins. So you're not spiritual until the Holy Spirit has given you that Holy Spirit, this flooding, this overwhelming of the Holy Spirit. Now you can start to see. You can sit and explain this to somebody endlessly. They're not going to understand it. Until Christ has truly opened their heart and caused them to be born again. And you need to have that supernatural experience of the Lord. Forty four, verse twenty-one Remember these, O Jacob and Israel. For you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not for you excuse me, you will not be forgotten by me. What a great assurance that the Lord is saying He will always have a remembrance of us. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and a cloud your sin. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Amazing to see God's emotion expressed this way. He wants to forgive. He wants to wipe the slate. He wants to wipe out our past. You know, We have that sensation, that understanding very often The thought that God is the arresting officer. He's anxious to catch us in the midst of our failure. He wants, those are all lies. It's not the character of God. He wants to forgive us. He wants to blot out the record. He wants to restore us. God's not going to forget us. It's an amazing, gracious statement that he gives us there in 21 and 22. 23, sing, O heavens. For the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth! Now, I would encourage you to avoid some of the confusing commentaries on this. Um, we're in the lower parts of the earth right now. Okay, in comparison to the heights of heaven that were just mentioned, that's what's being said. So let you know the heavens sing, and the lower parts of creation, the earth. Here we are. You know, let us also break forth in singing. You mountains, O forests, and every tree. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. I've shared before. I'll do it again. A number of years ago, my wife and I had taken a day off and uh, just trying to spend some time together, study, getting the word. And uh, we had just read through the passage where Jesus is saying to the religious leaders that if the people... In Jerusalem, don't shout and declare him the Messiah. Then the rocks right there would cry out on his behalf. And, uh, you know, Laurie and I were talking about, you know, different things in the scripture. Uh, The trees will clap their hands. You know, this passage here of, you know, how all of creation should be worshiping the Lord. And as we're having this discussion, we're down on Scudic Point, just looking out over the ocean, and this large group of people uh, has arrived, apparently. We've gone down over this little rise, and we're just sitting here in the quiet, enjoying our time of devotion, and now there's a whole group of people that are running their mouths and creating a lot of disruption, and I'm getting more and more short-tempered with the whole thing, so now I've decided that we're leaving, and I've gathered up my wife and our stuff, and we're headed up over this rise where I'm suddenly shocked to realize that there's no one else there at all. That What's going on is the waves have shifted right after we came into this location, and they're crashing onto the rocks there where there are all these like slightly smaller than baseball, slightly larger than golf ball-sized stones which are clattering up over the beach and then back down over the beach with the waves. And it sounds like a large group of people talking and shouting and enjoying themselves. We're reading how God can cause creation to shout out and worship him. And I'm showing my typical self in creation, being short-tempered and saying, that's it, this large group of Tauruses arrived here and they're disrupting my personal time with the lord so we're all leaving right now you know as i'm storming up out of there i have to come to realize no this is just god showing me that he can literally make rocks cry out if he has to he can make trees clap their hands you'll look up at the trees and say wow look the trees are clapping their hands or at least the believers will Because the believers will hear the voice from heaven, while everybody else goes, "Was that thunder?" You know, the heart that's surrendered to Him is going to see amazing things. The Lord is bringing about, you know, His worship. Verse twenty-four: "Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, He who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens." all alone who spread abroad the earth by himself who frustrates the signs of the babblers this was a common practice when you would go see certain mediums um you know you would ask him and he would sit in his trance state and just kind of mumble and bumble along so that you'd be going what did you say what did he say what did he just say and then they're able to just sort of piece together From the questions you're asking and the things that are being mumbled, hopefully the answer that you want so that you'll pay them and be on your way. Just babblers, mumblers, who don't have any clear answer, who won't look you in the face and say, with a clear and concise response, the types of things that the Lord is saying right here. He's saying, I'm going to confuse the babblers. Pay attention to what they're saying. They're going to say one thing one minute. They're going to turn around another minute and say an entirely different thing, contradicting themselves. There's going to be all kinds of those who say they have supernatural uh, powers. The the diviners, I'm going to drive them mad, who turn wise men backward and make their knowledge foolishness. This seems to be more the Lord saying, I'm going to turn wise men backwards and make those who are supposedly knowledgeable look foolish foolish. Who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers. Who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited to the cities of Judah. You shall be built and I will raise up their waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry and will dry up your rivers. Now, a couple of things within that. Everybody that's making predictions inside Israel and Babylon He's saying, I'm gonna confuse them. Just you're not gonna to want to listen to them at all. You know, I'm the one who's gonna give you the wise counsel, and my servants will be the ones who speak, and those things take place. And then he adds to the end of that, you know, I'm gonna to say to Jerusalem, you'll be built. Now, this was you know the idea of uh, Israel's gonna be destroyed and lying waste. And now the Lord is gonna say I want Israel to be built. And he's going to do it through the one. He's going to explain it a little more. uh, Who says to the deep, be dry and dries up the rivers. It was Cyrus, which he mentions in the very next verse, who drained the Euphrates River in order to go into Babylon. So this whole thing, you know, looking back, it's like, Historically, as far as battle goes, it's like, well, when you've besieged a city like Babylon, um, you could like fight your way up over massive fortified walls, or you could just walk through the unguarded door, the Euphrates River that just runs under the wall. You know, we look at it and think like, oh, that's not even an option. You know, in this day and age, Cyrus looked at it and said, you know, all we need here is a massive trench to divert the river out of its riverbed and all of this water goes away and we'll just march under the wall. And that's exactly what he did. You know, 150 years before Cyrus is born, the Lord is saying this right now. When you read verse 28, who says to Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Go right into chapter 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him. The double doors, the gates under the Euphrates River, under the wall of Babylon, were two layers of doors, one bronze, one iron gate. So the gates will not be shut. The double doors, the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasuries of darkness and hidden riches of the secret places, the inner palace there in Babylon when they walked right up into the room where they were celebrating their glory, that you may know that I, the Lord, who calls you by name, me speaking to Cyrus specifically, am the God of Israel. The God, the, and for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by name. I have named you, though you have not known me. When the Jewish scholars brought this passage to Cyrus shortly after his invasion and conquering of Babylon, he was so impressed with the word of the Lord here about himself and his own conduct uh, in this very thing that took place that that is where the proclamation was made, that they as a people would be set free. Incrementally later the order was given to build the temple and then the release and then the rebuilding of the walls under Nehemiah took place. But this is the moment where that whole thing shifted. When God, you know, says a thing, then that's the way it's gonna happen. I don't have freedom to share it, but you know, I take these same messages into Hancock County Jail, and I would really encourage you to continue to pray about this church's involvement with Hancock County Jail and continue to pray about our ability to get people from Hancock County Jail into Calvary Residential Discipleship Program because that's really what most of them need. But, uh, you know, discussing this very thing with a group of men last week, one of the men that was part of that discussion has seriously dedicated himself to the Lord in the time that he's been in jail and been coming to our Bible studies but he's got two massive felony convictions and this one is going to send him away for more than 10 years and uh, he's saying to me in the midst of it you know I don't know I'm, I'm really praying that the Lord will shorten my time and let me out, you know, just miraculously sort of take all this trouble away. And I'm saying to him, guy, you don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, we went through a list of names that he knew of men who have gotten out and died from overdose. People he and I have known. And I'm saying to him, you know, that could be you. You're sitting here right now convinced you know, God needs to open the doors and let me out. And really, the very best thing the Lord can do for you is keep you in here. And um, he admitted that was the truth, that only God really knows what he's going to do. And over weeks, we just talked about these different things. And in particular, we dwelt upon this the fact that if the Lord says a thing is supposed to be so, then that's the way it's going to be. And there's not a blessed thing you can do to change it. So we were praying. And I showed up for a study uh, last night, Wednesday. And he informs me that he's got a few more days to serve. And they're going to send him down to a rehab in southern Maine. And then he's got probation after that. He's not going to be doing the 10 plus years of a hard time. The sincerity in his relationship with the Lord right now is really quite remarkable. And I think he is one of those few guys that's truly surrendered to the Lord. When you're surrendered to the Lord, then you become his servant. And everything changes in the process. You know, when When we struggle against him, then we are. We're on the side of the babblers and the diviners who are just confused and wandering. So much better to just be Attached to, dialed in, listening to the hand and the work of the Lord. So we'll pick up with uh, chapter 45 next week. But uh, very gracious explanation. And we'll look at Cyper, Cyrus a little bit more uh, next week. So why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father God, I thank you that we have such clarity in the scripture. We can see people's lives changed and moved like Cyrus, the way that you were far ahead of him, working in his life, causing him to be your servant, and to be used by you, I pray that regardless, Lord, of what our struggles are, you'd help us to be men and women that were just surrendered to your purpose. That you could use us, shape us, mold us, deliver us, carry us to the places you wanted us to be. We want to be used by you. We want to see your kingdom come. Your will be done in us and through us, by us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.